Good afternoon. Happy Thursday. Doesn't feel like one because this is only my second day of the week. But it is. I'm Blake Murphy. This is Fan Drive Time. Shai Davidi beside me again today. Today and tomorrow. One more. Ben Anasov. How you doing, man? I'm all right. But before we get started, I have to say I'm a little bit worried about the hearing of our predecessors here in the studio. Like, yeah. These volumes are high, like like Kipper, Born, like uh, Sam. Are, are your ears okay? I'm a little bit worried about you guys. It's tough. Now, I bring in my own headphones, so maybe it's a headphone quality thing. I, d- I don't know. I don't want to put the station on blast or anything like that. <laughs> uh, and I would understand it, you know, a, a little bit for some of the people. You know, we have some older colleagues. We have some colleagues who... You know, have maybe gotten in a couple tilts or two. Maybe maybe Kipper's got some cauliflowering going on. I don't know. But it is remarkable, A, how loud the headphone jacks are when we come in. And B, in the summer when I was doing Jay's Talk Plus, I would come in some days after Blair and Barker. And they had this studio up to like 75 or 76 degrees. Wow. We've got a 68 right now. It's perfect. Well, I mean, you know, Barker does run hot, so... But that's a that's a big swing. That's a big swing for sure. So get used to the volume. Get used to the heat. I don't know what else to tell you, man. We'll try to bring some heat on this show too. Yeah, yeah, we will. We uh, speaking of what we're going to bring on this show, uh, we're only with you until six thirty today because the Leafs have a game. We'll kick it over to Leafs pregame. Then, right before that, though, sometime around six o'clock, we'll be joined by the newest Toronto Blue Jay, Brandon Belt. That's way to hook it up, Shy. Looking forward to that. Do you do you want to take a second here to to puff your chest out a little bit? You know, Ben and I do this show. We haven't really had much for Jay's guests. You come in, John Schneider last week, Brandon Belt today. I'm assuming, you know, tomorrow you've got something up your sleeve too. You can pat yourself on the back. It's okay. No, man. Team effort. BBWAA president gets uh gets what he wants. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> we'll see. Uh we'll see how Brandon Belt's doing. Obviously, we heard uh heard from him yesterday. We played some comments on the air, but we'll get them to ourselves around 6 o'clock. Um, we'll also talk to Ross Tucker at 5.30. We'll kind of whip around the weekend ahead in the NFL. Uh, six games this weekend, including my Jaguars. I'm getting pretty excited. My, oh, Jaguars. My, yeah, so. Like, I, I want you to I want you to have a, like, vintage Blake Bortles jersey for this game. You can, you can It'll exercise be, the ghosts of Jag seasons past. So I, I don't have a Bortles jersey, but I I do have a Byron Leftwich jersey. So I could find that in storage and wear it Saturday. We'll see. I'm not a huge jersey guy in general, but my brother, so my youngest brother is a big Jaguars fan as well. And he got me a Trevor Lawrence jersey earlier this year. And we went to, of course, the one bad game they've played in the last nine weeks. They go seven and two. They lose to the Chiefs and then they get embarrassed by the Lions. Um as luck would have it. But no, my brother is very, uh, very fired up. And my brother's not a huge sport. Neither of my brothers are huge sports guys, um, except that my youngest brother is a big, big football fan. So in terms of like that brotherly bonding over sports, the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars has not had a lot of meaningful games. So this is uh, this is kind of special. He actually sent me a picture earlier. He bought a new TV. Not specifically for that. He badly needed one anyway, but... He is, uh, he's excited. So we'll go around the NFL weekend with Ross Tucker. Shai, who are you a fan of in football? I'm, I don't really have a team. Okay, you're a drifter. I, when, when I, younger, I, you know, I like the Bills because of proximity. I like the Steelers a little bit, but I, I don't really have a team. So I'll just kind of pick a game of the week and, or, you know, if I'm with a certain group of friends that are super into one team, I'll just watch uh, whatever they're watching and, and enjoy it that way. 
there's room on the Jacksonville Jaguars bandwagon. I, I, I think that for now, I'm gonna, you know, I'll, I'll pass. All right. You'll regret it. Uh, you'll regret it at least, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe as soon as Saturday. I don't think they're getting any further than that, even if they win, because the, the Chiefs would be on deck. Although we've had a couple Bills fans around the office uh, already one week ahead begging me if the Jags could please take a, a bite out of the Chiefs. So it's well, a funny situation. Uh, the Bills already looking ahead to that. I don't know. That would make me nervous. Take nothing for granted in sports, right? Like, yeah. you know, the, the Buffalo Bills with their history should uh, reinforce to everybody that nothing should be taken for granted. Yes, uh, that's the case. So we'll talk to Ross Tucker about that at 530. We'll have Brandon Belt at 6. But today's top story brought to you by Thornhill Toyota, your local Toyota store since 1969. Come for the history, stay for the future. Dufferin, north of Steeles. The story is kind of still developing because Austin Matthews is a game-time decision for tonight for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, the highlight item from last night was that the Leafs once again won without him. They beat the Nashville Predators 2-1. to one. Um, We will keep an eye on the Matthews news throughout the course of this show. Obviously, if he misses another game, that is a, a headline item because it's two in a row. And then you're looking at... Well, do you sit him Saturday against Boston in what should be a physical matchup? And then he's got eight days off between, like he'll have had eight days off between games. If he goes tonight, um, then maybe, you know, post by post game, we know what this ailment was. Maybe he'll reveal Sheldon Keefe still isn't. Um, but for now, the headline item is the, the Leafs continue to be pretty good even when Matthew sits, a testament to their depth. Highlight item last night, William Nylander, you said he was the, the storyline in Matthew's absence that you were most looking forward to keep an eye on, boy, did he deliver, man, that, uh, that pass on oh. the, on the winner on the power play to Marner, just the, the patience to suck in everybody convinced that he was going to have the shot and just a perfect pass over. And, yeah, you know, it would almost look like Marner was stunned that he had so much time. He, all it, the time in the world with a, a full mouth. Like, I, I was worried in the moment he was going to overthink it. Yeah, and look, it almost did. He almost did, right? Like, great effort by Soros to dive back mm-hmm. and try to get into it. But, yeah, I thought it was a really nice game. And, you know, the thing that stuck to me, uh, stuck out to me as I was watching that, you know, a week ago, everyone was in panic mode about goaltending, right? Mm-hmm. And then... Samsonov had the solid game against the Red Wings, and then and then Murray's now two in a row. But last night he had to really outduel somebody in that, right? Like he had him go save for save with Sorrows and, and be one better, and um, and he was. And, and so if if you're you've gone from a situation where it's like you know did we hit a blip in our goaltending situation? Uh, are we experiencing regression to the mean? Is this the new norm for us? What's going on here? And then to be able to to win a game in in no small measure to your goaltending uh, without Austin Matthews and your forwards and your, def- your defenseman can help essentially lock down the ice more or less. I think that's that's pretty important development for this team. Yeah, Murray stops thirty two or thirty three saves, a couple of big ones, including right after that Marner goal. Right, looked like they were going to hand it right back. Um, Obviously encouraging that those two guys have put together three games in a row now. Um, we'll see if Samsonov can keep that going tonight. I think, you know, you need nights like that occasionally, especially when Matthews is out. And Sheldon Keefe kind of talked about it last night as, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, we, we haven't needed the goalies to win the game for them that often. But last night was certainly one of them. And obviously Nylander had a, had a great game as well. But um, the goaltending there was the headline item. Now, I think 
big picture what we've seen, and this was kind of the story when the Leafs were dealing with all of those blue line injuries, and yeah, TJ Brody's back on the IR now, but they've got most of the pieces back, is this team has, this team spent the better part of the first half of the season building a really strong defensive core. They don't allow a ton of shot attempts. They don't allow a ton of high-quality shot attempts. They try to simplify things for Murray and Samsonov. That doesn't mean that these goalies aren't capable of making good saves, right? Like, there there are going to be breakdowns, and these guys got to come through for you. Um, I, you certainly don't need Murray to put up a 90, 970 every night. Uh, this team's going to score more than two goals more often than not. But I, I do think... You know, big picture, even with the the little bit of regression we saw from them during the month of December, you're pretty comfortable with where this team is defensively. Yeah. And I, I think to to your point, if you if you're gonna really zoom out to ten thousand feet, you wanna be a team that can win whatever the game presents to you, right? So you've got to pump out a bunch of goals by Philadelphia Flyers say you can do you can go and do that and and you cruise. But when things get tight and you don't have your top scorer and, you know, Nashville plays a, a really tough game, right? Like they're, they're in lanes. It's hard to make the, any, anything pretty, anything cross-ice can be tough to get pucks through uh, the way they collapse and around the net. To be able to find a way to win that kind of game and feel like you've got the tools you need to win that game that to me is important. I thought it was interesting to hear Sheldon Keefe talking a bit about that in the pregame today, just about being a team that can shake off things like a, an Austin Matthews absence and be able to to go toe to toe with uh, with a team that's playing a style that you don't necessarily want to play or that you aren't necessarily built towards. But to be able to adapt and, and find a way that that was important and and within that vein. When you're playing those kind of games, you know, your goalie has to find a way to be one save better than the other guy. And, you know, Matt Murray doing that and being able to to steady the to, to be able to be there when they had those breakdowns and they had a couple of those chances and uh, there were some nice saves. You know, the, he, he was a significant contributor. And you, like you said, you don't necessarily want him to be that guy every game. You don't want to have to rely on him to to have to make those kinds of saves. But the fact that he's able to do it is certainly inspiring. And especially against with a guy like Saros on the other side. Um, we talked yesterday with Kristen Chilton. She she did not give them a very favorable midseason grade at ESPN. But this is a, a Predators team that has mostly struggled on the offensive side. Saros has a 922 save percentage on the season. He's not the issue. That no. guy led the league in minutes played last year too. He is the workhorse right now. This is also a Nashville team that had kind of started to turn it around seven, two and two over their last 11. They'd won four in a row and had points in six in a row. And they'd been pretty dominant over that stretch. So that's a quality, you know, strength of schedule is not static. You don't, the predators today aren't the same predators team you run into on November 1st. That that's struggling and hasn't figured some things out. So, um, you know, the, you caught a team while they were hot and, and playing up, pretty hot goaltender and came out of it. Okay. So um, that is an encouraging one. We'll see Samson off tonight. See if he can add a second one in a row. Uh, certainly the, the quality of competition, uh, not extremely high tonight with Detroit. I know there was a, a time where they were kind of hanging around in the Atlantic division. 
they are now 17, 15, and 7. They've come back down to earth, and this is a team that uh, – does not keep the puck out of the net nearly as well as those Nashville Predators. So uh, maybe an opportunity for the Leafs offense to get clicking. Um, before we move off of Leafs, and, and again, we'll keep an eye on Austin Matthews' status for tonight. We still don't know right now. Um, William Nylander slides into that role last night. Two primary assists, the beautiful assist on the winner. Um, the Leafs dominated possession a lot of that game such that they really didn't start in their own end a ton. But... They were very careful with how they used the Nylander bunting line. That was almost exclusively an offensive zone line. Um, what did you What did you make of that? And without Matthews, Matthews is a I, I for my money still a, a bit of an underrated two way player. Oh, uh, very sure. good in his own end, but you want him in the offensive end enough. Uh, the Nylander bunting version of that line seemed to be offense only at, at least for the night. Yeah, well, I mean, even on the Nashville goal. I think you can make a case that Nylander needs to be in front there and and, and taking some of that space away uh, before that puck goes into the net. Look, it's hard to just jump in at center and then go up against the team's other uh, the, the other team's top line and just say, okay, I'm going to both be responsible in my own end and and attack when you've been a winger, you know, for, by and large throughout your NHL career and for most of the season. So. I think that's smart. Like, you know, you've you've got to give Nylander a chance to adapt to that change a little bit and get accustomed to the responsibilities and the different coverages that you want. And look, you're you're looking for offense from that line. You don't, mm-hmm. They're not out there to be your shutdown group, right? No, you've got three shutdown groups that you could... Right. You know, basically, the whole team is shutdown groups at this point, when, well, other than uh, that line. Exactly. So, you know... Put them in the position where you're most likely to be successful. And I think it, I thought some of the, you know, the Kerfoot moving up to that with that group a little bit uh, for a few shifts, I thought that looked pretty interesting. And you saw maybe a bit of change in Kerfoot there with the way that he started skating. You know, Engvall's out of role a little bit. And I'm not sure that it was much different from what we've seen from him all, all season long where it's like, yeah, there could be more, but it's not sort of there. And He's the most, as someone who comes at things from kind of an analytic perspective, but also watches the game and has a little bit of the, like, my dad in me where I'm yelling, shoot it on the power play and stuff, Engvall is the most complicated player there is because all the numbers say that he, like, helps good things happen even if he's not involved. And then you watch sometimes, and with that size and that stride, like, I'm always left wanting more with him. And I think that was the case last night where that line, yeah, you're right, it clicked better with Kerfoot, I thought, than with Engvall. And and that's maybe not what you want if you think that that should be an offense only group because Kerfoot's so valuable in his own end. Um, but but. May, but maybe that's, you know, Kerfoot being the supportive piece that allows you to use them in, in more situations, right? So yeah, it's his entire value is the, the lineup versatility. Right. Cause you can play him up, you can play him down and he can, he, he seems to adapt to role changes better than, than other players on that, on that team. Yeah. You can't, you can't feel like you're being moved out of your role if you never have a set role anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, His yeah. role is just... Swiss Army knife. Exactly. Um, one more for you on that one. I, I'd ask you about Bobby McMahon's debut, but uh, we'll, we'll leave it for if we get a two-game sample tonight. I, I thought it was I thought it was a nice game. Like, just really 
just responsible shifts, you know? Perfectly cromulent debut from Bobby McMahon. Excellent word. Uh, The other thing I wanted to ask you about, though, the non-call on the kind of neutral zone interference pick on David Camp uh, from Nino Niederreiter. Your your take on that one, uh, I certainly... I know what Twitter's take on it was, and, and I know what Justin Bourne's take on it was, who was on air before us. Him and J.D. Bunkus on the postgame last night uh, thought that was a bit of a, a whiff. That, to me, not only a missed call, that's kind of a dangerous play to let go. Yeah. So uh, did you hear Sheldon Keefe's pregame comments on that? I, I thought the, I thought he had a really interesting perspective where he didn't see intent on Nita Ryder's part in terms of he didn't think he was going after Kemp's head. And he felt that, you know, that that's a play where you're always trying to kind of get a pick in on the defender as he's coming back to create a little bit of room for the puck carrier. And he just happened to have some head contact there. And obviously that is a big no-no and certainly made it a lot worse than, than it seemed. So I think you can look at it and say, I don't think that's a, a, an intentional headshot. At the same time, you've got to be responsible if you're doing that. And you can't make contact with the head. You need to be aware. The defender is is vulnerable because Camp's skating backwards. He's watching the play. He's not watching you come in. So you're blindsided. And there's no... There's there's no level of expectation of that coming too, right? And that's the other thing with with catching a guy off guard is in what scenario does that... Does a pick come that hard and at that angle? Not very often. Right. And and that's when the player is most vulnerable because you can't brace for the contact. And that's when head injuries occur. So, you know, I think there has to be more responsibility on the player's part there. There should probably be some consequence. But I don't think this is one of one of those headshots where you look at it and say that is that's suspension worthy. That's somebody who's going out there intentionally trying to hurt somebody. That's someone trying to make uh, you know, one of those borderline hockey plays that maybe didn't do it in the way that he should have. Okay, so that the, the either way, the Leafs come out of that with a win. We'll see if Austin Matthews plays tonight. We'll keep an eye on that throughout the show. And again, we're only with you till 630 because we'll kick it over to Leafs pregame after that. But the Leafs, once again, winning without Austin Matthews. That was today's top story brought to you by Thornhill Toyota. Shy, both Toronto teams in action tonight, the Leafs and the Raptors. The Leafs... For a team that the whole story for years has been it only matters in the playoffs, somehow they have a more interesting game tonight still uh, than the Raptors who have their rematch with the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Another one of these two-game sets. They played them on Tuesday. They shot the lights out. And as far as the Raptors of late go, that was a fairly tidy victory. Nobody played more than 36 minutes. They actually used 10 guys in their rotation. Uh... Crazy how things look when the threes go down. Is there anything you're looking for in that Raptors game tonight that that you didn't see in the Hornets game or you want to see carry over? Um, Just the case of get the W and get out of there. This would be their first three-game winning streak of the season. Wow. Yeah. I, I would think as opposed to looking something specific in the game or something different, you just want to see them play well consistently. That this wasn't just one really good night where, like you said, the threes fell and everything else ended up slotting into place, that they're actually doing these things consistently. That's some of the some of the elements of that game are repeatable. Because, you know, when I've been watching when I've watched them, it just the the variance from game to game in, in certain 
elements of of the way they're performing. All they're, elements. You, all you, elements. You can yeah. be honest. I mean, it's just why it seems that there should be a lot. They should be a lot better in a lot of different facets on a consistent and steady basis. And why isn't that stuff repeatable? And the fact that it isn't is why they're in the situation that they're in. And why we're having so many of the discussions about where is this team going? What is its future? Whereas, you know, they were so consistent last year, right? And and they've lost that. They haven't been able to get back there. Obviously, and it's the, the same guys. And, and, and different, but the guys having different seasons, which is to be expected, but it's not normalizing in any way, shape, or form. So it's like, which Raptors team are you getting on a given night? Who are you going to see? How are they going to perform? And... You know, if they're, they kind of feel like that was the game against the, that previous game against Charlotte, that's what you expected them to look like. And correct me if I'm wrong, like that seems like that should be what they are, they're playing like on a regular basis. And the fact that they're not, that to me has been the most maddening part of the season. It's like, if you're going to go, if you're going to be in this situation that they're in, okay, fine. I'd like it to be more explainable than it is. Certainly. And the, the ups and downs and especially that continuity factor, not really providing much um, has been a, a curiosity. The other thing we saw in that game on the Charlotte side was uh, a really fun LaMelo ball game. So 24 points, pretty inefficient, but he got there. Uh, 14 assists for LaMelo ball. He'd be fifth in the league if he played enough games to qualify in assists per game. I don't expect you, Shy, to have watched a ton of tape on Metro 92, um, but the idea of Victor Wembanyama the this you know best prospect since Luka Doncic maybe even going further back than that catching lobs from Lamelo Ball for the foreseeable future. What do you think of the Charlotte fit there? Because they're almost at the bottom of the standings here. Well, I mean we're we're already into lottery projections. Oh yeah. And, oh, deep into that. JD Bunkus was at like I had the percentages up on his show earlier today oh, that, uh, because the Raptors aren't that far off where they were in the Scotty Barnes year. To be well, honest, I mean. That that would be quite something. And look, uh, it, if, the, if the Raptors are getting themselves into that sort of territory, I, I mean, you know, longer term, maybe that's where you need to get to. I think look, it's it really interesting for Charlotte and just like where, what is that organization doing? Like like where where does it ultimately turn for them, right? And mm-hmm. so you know that sort of that combination would definitely be intriguing, and maybe. It makes that team interesting, but you know, since they came back to the NBA, like, you know, what have they done? You know, aside from be this sort of doormat for a lot of teams. Yeah, one of the the swing pieces could be you know a potential sale at some point. You've seen what some of the franchises are going for. Michael Jordan paid two hundred twenty five million dollars for that franchise. Yeah. It'd be a tidy turnaround. Now, I'm not saying Michael Jordan is the reason they're not good, um, but you have to. You have to think that's something on the table at some point, and then maybe there's a, a new direction there. But yeah, they've languished for quite some time. Lamelo Ball, a nice piece to build with, but uh, that's not enough on its own. So we'll see if they they land Wemby there. A lot of fun potential landing spots for him. Uh, I want your quick take on something, and this is a little niche, but I actually want to, you know, I'm like not my opinion on it because I'm exactly the type of person this is geared toward. Uh, the NBA announced today that, so after a couple years of not involving the G League in All-Star Weekend, they're going to roll back, or they're going to roll out or roll back out a G League All-Star game that I think is trying to capture some of what baseball does with the prospects game. 
Now, in basketball, it's a little tough because G League players, some of the guys who are going to be in this game are belong to NBA teams on two-way contracts or, you know, are realistically going to back out of the game if an NBA team's about to sign them, something like that. But what we have now is because the G League Ignite exists and there are some real top prospects in the G League for this year's draft, this is almost... Not almost, it is a showcase of some of the top draft talent as well. Now, we could never do something where the top college guys also take part in that right before March Madness, but we do have a case right now where the top four picks in this draft could conceivably all be non-NCAA guys. Um, Scoot Henderson is the only one we're going to see in that G League All-Star game, probably. Um, does this do anything for you as a... As a fan, you know, and it's not the same as baseball because the prospect culture is different, but having a guy who could potentially be the number two pick this year involved in All-Star Weekend before he's in the league, uh, does that grab your interest at all? Like, is that something you'd be curious to tune in for? A little bit, but I still think that's niche. Uh, It's very niche And like you said, basketball doesn't have the same developmental system. It doesn't have the same prospect culture as baseball. I think you can make the case that it's a, it's gone a little too far in baseball in terms of the way fans and and teams for that matter, you know, value prospects sometimes at the expense of their big league club. But I like the the stride towards trying to build that connection, right? Because if you want people to engage with the G League as a real developmental loop and you want them to see this as, you know, a part of your feeder system in a meaningful way, then you need to give it the the birth to to be part of your your marquee events and saying, you know, this is preparatory for these players in the way that we want that we want them to be part of our future. So, you know, we're going to give them this. We're going to share our all star stage with them and give them this sort of treatment and that is a demonstration of how committed we are to this. And I think in that aspect, it makes sense in the way that the prospects game makes a lot of sense in baseball. But ultimately, you have to give people some names they really want to see, right? And if it's one draft prospect, okay. But you're getting if you start getting four or five, you start getting some of the, col- some, some of the top college prospects, then it's going to be not only really must watch, but it's going to be something that be really highly sought after as well. Another name to watch in that game uh, will be Leonard Miller. He's a Canadian who plays for G League Ignite. I'm not sure that we've seen a G League Ignite prospect raise their draft stock in one year as much as Leonard Miller has out of Thornhill. I'd imagine he gets voted in as an all-star for that game. So that's another, that's a little Canadian twist on it. I got a question for you. Just, Hmm. Just out of curiosity, baseball is all about sample size. If you had a showcase with a lot of top prospects, a one-game basketball showcase, how much impact do you think that could have on somebody's draft standing? Enough, but not significant. So, you know, you could have, like, I've definitely heard stories where guys at draft workouts, you know, Blake beats the heck out of shy and shy's confidence. You, you can watch it shatter over the course of this workout and that sours a team on shy and suddenly they're high on Blake. Like I've seen that happen. We, 
NBA teams try to encourage as many prospects as possible to play in five-on-five games in the combine. Um, Some of that's not necessarily performance-based. Some of that's you want to see guys' developmental capacity, and if after one game you pull them aside and say, hey, this is something we'd like you to try or something to work on, you want to see if they can apply it. Um, But the honest answer is teams overreact to March Madness every year, and certainly fans overreact to March Madness every year. Like the... Jalen Suggs is not the most fair example, but like every fan was ready to burn down the the draft hall when Barnes went over Jalen Suggs because Jalen Suggs had March Madness moments. Right. And NBA teams are not completely immune to that. Like we even saw, you know, one of Masai Ujiri's first draft picks with the Raptors was, it was the Bruno year, so everyone forgets this, but he also took DeAndre Daniels at a UConn high in the second round and that was one where there was not really track record of him being an NBA-level prospect, but he had a monster March Madness. Um, and I don't know. I'm sure he had great workouts and stuff like that. But the answer is, yeah, we we do see it sometimes still where teams will overreact to limited samples, even though all these games are on tape. You could be watching these guys. You could have watched every single minute on these guys if you wanted to. Um, we'll still see that a little bit. We also saw Scoot against Wemby in those two exhibition games earlier in the year that, that they streamed on the NBA app. Nobody really changed their mind about those two other than, oh my goodness, can't wait till they're in the NBA. So right. that to me is what I think the NBA would be more focused on is like, let's let's build the excitement up. In the same way March Madness gets people excited for draft prospects, let's do that with control over these guys and us making the money off of it <laughs> yeah. is, uh, is what they're going to do. Um, we're going to take a break so we can make some money. Uh, with those commercials. And then when we come back, we're going to talk to Ross Tucker about this weekend's NFL slate. Six games, my Jaguars in action, your Bills in action. We'll see what Ross Tucker thinks of the slate next on Fan Drive Time on Sports at 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Fan Drive Time. I'm Blake Murphy, Shai Davidi alongside me we're with you until 6 30 again we'll keep an eye on the austin matthews update he's a game time call tonight as the leafs take on the red wings in detroit bigger stakes are ahead in the sports world this weekend six games on nfl wildcard weekend to help us break those down it's ross tucker of the ross tucker football podcast of cbs of westwood one former nfl offensive lineman ross how you doing buddy Good, Blake. How you doing, man? I'm fired up for this weekend, and I got to ask, I know you're on Dolphins-Bills. When you sat down with these six games, though, I know you're always tweeting about the media food spreads at each of these arenas. Of the six possible landing spots for Ross Tucker this weekend, what was your preference strictly from the media spread basis? Ooh, that's a tough call. Um, San Francisco is excellent. Excellent. And they even have like anchor steam beer after the game. So that would have been amazing. Jacksonville is one of the worst in the league. That's definitely out. Um, Sunday at one Buffalo is average. Minnesota is very good. I'd be happy to go to Minnesota again. They actually treated me very well there for the Colts game. My reputation preceded me. And they had specific food sent to the booth just for me. Wow. So I always appreciate that when people understand that I'm it's – a, it's a master of his craft at work. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, I, I appreciate that. Um, Sunday night, 
Uh, Cincinnati, average. And then Monday night would probably be my number one. Hmm. Tampa brings the heat, bro. Tampa, Tampa always has, like, multiple carving stations, multiple entree options, and a halftime, they have Bananas Foster. It's amazing. Wow. See, I would have thought Tampa Bay had all the nonsense TB12. Here you got to get your phytonutrients and all the, the faux nutritional science stuff in Tampa Bay. Uh, that's good to hear. So, Ross, you're in Buffalo this weekend for Miami Buffalo. You're a former Buffalo Bill yourself. Uh, that The line for that game basically suggests this is the least close of the six games. Of course, two are not playing. Um, I I had a bit of a red flag go up for the bills earlier today, just not because of anything they did, but there are a couple bills fans here in the office at sports at five ninety, the fan, and they were both already looking ahead to the chiefs and asking, you know, me as a Jaguars fan, Hey, if the Jaguars win this week, make sure you take a chunk out of the chiefs. Um, is there any chance that that Buffalo slips up here? Is that a fan only uh, phenomenon there with uh, as, as two touchdown favorites against the dolphins? Yeah, I mean, with Skylar Thompson starting, it seems pretty unlikely that the Dolphins would win. I mean, that would be, you said it, the biggest upset of the weekend. That would be an all-time shocker. But they shouldn't be worried about the Chiefs. They should be worried about the Bengals. I mean, they're going to have to play the Bengals next week first before they get near the Chiefs, potentially in Atlanta. So if you're a Bills fan and you're already looking past the Dolphins, I would be looking ahead to the Chiefs, not – I mean, I'm sorry, the Bengals, not the Chiefs. Ross, you know, a, a week ago, the Bills were obviously in the, still in the midst of the DeMar Hamlin situation and on pins and needles waiting for his future. It's about as abnormal a week you could have in football culminating in the, the game Sunday and the emotional tributes to DeMar Hamlin. How close to normal has this week been for the Bills? Good question. I don't really know the answer to that, but I do think there's a very real possibility of a letdown for the Bills on Sunday. You know, last week they were on edge, and then that stadium on Sunday was like a powder keg of emotion, and they just exploded. And there are people that think they kind of had their letdown midway through that game, and then they battled back or whatever. But now you got, you know, the Dolphins with Skylar Thompson. It's Sunday at 1. It's kind of a lazy. I, I think there's a real potential for the Bills to have a letdown here, which, you know, as a broadcaster, I, I kind of root for competitive games, right? So that would be fine by me. And on the Even Money podcast, that's my betting podcast, earlier in the week, now this was Tuesday, I took the Dolphins getting 10 and a half because I guess I thought there was like a 25% chance at that point two would play. But I thought there was 50% chance that Teddy Bridgewater would play. And then maybe only 25% Skyler Thompson. I guess I thought Bridgewater dislocated his pinky a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. Kind of hoping maybe he was ready and better and could try to give it a go and make it a competitive game. Yeah, well, that that – Little swing there has been worth three points since you recorded that podcast. The the Skylar Thompson three point uh, swing there. So that is a that's a season series. Obviously, we've seen Buffalo Miami twice already. 
both very close games, but very different than than what we might see uh, this weekend. I'm curious, though, in a situation like Chargers-Jaguars, where the lone regular season result we saw between the teams was so lopsided, 38-10 Jaguars, and that was before the Jaguars had figured it out. That was basically the only good game they played in the first half of the season uh, before turning things around in the last nine weeks. Um, do you put any stock, and you can answer this as far as Jags-Chargers go, or just more generally, do you put a lot of stock into regular season results when teams have a rematch in the postseason? Not really, and especially not when it was that far, that that long ago, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, a lot has happened since then. They both have injuries. You know, Trevor Lawrence played awesome in that game, and then he had a really bad run there for a while, but he really didn't play well at all. So I don't really, you know? If anything, I guess the former player in me tends to think it's more likely that the other team wins, you know, Hmm. just because – it's hard to do that. It's hard to beat a team twice. You know, obviously they changed some things up. A lot of it's, you know, game plan specific. And obviously they had a pretty good plan for that game. But I think, I think now for this game, you know, obviously the Chargers have a better plan. Um, what, what's difficult for the Chargers, though, is, you know, they went to Denver on Sunday. They got a couple of guys banged up. Mike Williams, their receiver, still isn't practicing. You fly back to L.A., then they got to go to Jacksonville in a short week, play Saturday night. It's about as far of a flight as you can get. It's just not ideal. And I know people that like the Jags as a result. But I guess I kind of feel like the Jags won their Super Bowl last week. You know, showcase game, Saturday night, division rival Titans, division championship, you know, playoffs on the line. They won. I'm just not sure they can uh, replicate that. Well, I uh, I hope you're wrong there, Ross. Uh, I, what's better than one Super Bowl in Week 18? Another Super Bowl in the Wild Card uh, weekend. That game is a is a fascinating one to me. Even taking my Jaguars allegiance out of it, because it's a battle of two pretty young, pretty high upside quarterbacks in their first career playoff games, Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence. Um, what do you look for from a young quarterback the first time they reach that stage? Like, what are are the lights brighter? Are you looking for more mistakes? Are you looking for a guy to just be himself? Um, what will kind of point one be for you in Herbert versus Lawrence? Yeah, listen, I mean, I think this is a real thing in every sport that there are certain guys that seemingly play their best in these situations. And, you know, when it's like the bigger the moment, the better they play. It's, you know, Tom Brady and Joe Montana and guys we've seen over the years. And then there are other guys that, for whatever reason, don't seem to play as well when, uh, when the stakes are higher. And so I think we all kind of want to see – which category, if either, Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence find themselves in? I mean, I think, I think it's the biggest stage either one of them has been on, at least at the professional level. You know, Trevor Lawrence won a national championship as a true freshman, but I still think you know, everybody's pretty curious to see how well. I, like, I didn't think Trevor played particularly well against the Titans. I mean, he missed some throws, and I was actually mad that the Titans – even had that fumble that they had because I was kind of curious 
to see if Trevor Lawrence can get it done. You know, I didn't want the Josh Allen fumble return for a touchdown, and I'm sure you love. <laughs> I kind of wanted to see Trevor Lawrence have to go the length of the field and see if he could do it. We can see Blake's heart breaking a little bit here as uh, as, as you're answering that question. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, earlier that it's really difficult to beat a football team twice in the same season. And the 49ers have done that twice already this year to the Seahawks. And is there any reason to think that they should have much difficulty doing it a third time on Saturday? No, I mean, I think the, the Seahawks have a chance to be more competitive than they have been. But I don't, I don't see that being – I don't see the Seahawks winning that game. That would surprise me. Um, you know, nobody – we talked about this today on the Ross Tucker podcast, but no quarterback's been sacked more on third down than Geno Smith. And that just does not bode very well going against Nick Bosa – Armstead, you know, all those guys for San Francisco. It's just not a good look. Niners are on an absolute roll right now. That would be the second biggest upset of the weekend, right? I mean, the Dolphins over the Bills would be the biggest, and then Seahawks over the Niners would be the next biggest. It's interesting, too, because, you know, two different thoughts on this, right? Number one, I'm kind of bummed that – the Lions or the Packers didn't get in. Like, how much more exciting and interesting would it be if it was Lions against the Niners or Packers against the Niners? And even the, by the same token, I'm kind of bummed it's not the Steelers, you know, that the Jets couldn't get it done against the Dolphins, so it could be the Steelers against the Bills. So the two things. One is, I think we kind of got the worst options of the potential seven seeds. And also, this is a good year that the NFL can kind of talk about whenever they try to make it eight playoff teams in each conference, they can say, well, look, that one year would have been the Lions and Steelers at nine and eight. Everybody would have been happy. They would have been happy. Uh, as it is, though, this is what we get. You mentioned, um, or, or Shai just asked you about uh, Seahawks, Niners. And, Ross, you had a tweet yesterday about coach of the year votes and both coaches Shanahan and Carroll were on your list of, Hey, you'd be fine with like nine different guys getting coach of the year this year, maybe even more as people, you know, responded to you and kind of bumped that list up to, you know, 12 or so unofficially. Uh, If you had a vote right now, obviously the playoffs are going to tell us a lot, but it's a regular season award. Uh, If you had a vote right now, what does your ballot look like for coach of the year? Yeah, um, I think it's probably, I don't know if they do a top three or top five. I'd probably have Brian Dayball one. Um, You know, I just don't think they're a very talented team. And the Giants have been awful in recent years. So I think what he's done is very impressive. Um, I think probably Pete Carroll, too. I thought the Seahawks were, like, tanking this year. You know, I, mean, I thought I thought they were going to be awful. So maybe you have the number one pick. So I think Pete Carroll's up there. Um, Kyle Shanahan, probably third. I mean, might be the best team in the league, but their third-string quarterback, who was Mr. Irrelevant, which is just unbelievable. Um, I think you got to put Sirianni up there, just because 
the Eagles roster is loaded, but nobody was picking them to be this good. And Jalen Hurts probably wasn't even a top 20 quarterback last year. And this year he's probably going to be second in the MVP voting. And might have won if he didn't get hurt. And then last, probably Kevin O'Connell. Thought about Doug Peterson, but O'Connell, I mean, nobody had them winning 13 games. Nobody. I mean, 13 and 4 is crazy impressive. I don't care what their point differential is. Who cares how many points you lose the game by? Ross, in the wake of what happened with the Bills, and and I know you you tweeted that you you don't like voting for coaches who have established elite quarterbacks, but given the job Sean McDermott did, can you see uh, a stream of votes for him and just maybe people basing their vote entirely on what they saw in terms of the way that he handled that entire situation and maybe that giving him a bit of a bump in the, in the polling? Yes, I think so. Um, I do think that's probably a factor, and I think he probably will get a bump up as a result of that. I think that's a pretty good call. Um, and I think the way he handled it is impressive, and he deserves credit for it, but in terms of coaching, you know, all they did was play one game after that, and they beat the Patriots by two touchdowns, and they had two kickoff returns for touchdown. Like, I don't, I don't know that it manifested itself with something overly impressive on the field. That's fair, Ross. Um, we'll see. And, how- and, and honestly, it's a really small sample size for him. You know, let's see how he does moving forward. It's also why I, I, I'll never understand why all these awards are regular season awards. I mean, I, I, I just don't really get that. No, it's something we deal with in every sport, too, where, you know, the NBA gives out their awards at the end of the playoffs, even though they're regular season awards, and they often look silly after the fact. Uh, Not looking silly, Ross Tucker, at Ross Tucker NFL, at the Ross Tucker Podcast, Westwood One, CBS, uh, on Dolphins Bills this weekend. Have a blast this weekend, man. Sounds great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Ross Tucker, of all those places I just said, and formerly of the Bills, got to be cool for him, too get to go cover one of those back in Buffalo as the Dolphins visit there on Saturday. In a couple minutes here, we're going to talk to Brandon Belt, who might want to come to Toronto a little early, Shy, Because the Toronto Boat Show is returning to Care Center for its 65th anniversary, January 20th to the 29th. We're giving away tickets to the event and ballots for a chance to win their grand prize, a Princecraft fishing boat with a Mercury engine and trailer. We also have our own VIP prize, which includes dinner for two, a $100 shopping spree at the show, and a one-night stay at the Weston Harbor Castle. Just listen for the code words in our show today until January 16th. Then text the code word to 59590, and you will be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is SALE. Not sale as in that's on sale. Sale as in a part of a boat. Sale. So text at the 59590. We have another code word tomorrow. Uh, be sure to tune in for that. And who knows? Maybe if Brandon Belt, fishing enthusiast, is in Toronto early shy, uh, he'll be at the Toronto Boat Show at Entercare Center January 20th to the 29th as well. Yeah. I mean, he's got uh, the new contract. Maybe he wants a, a new boat to go with the new contract. Yeah, why not? And, and hey, he could just text in sale to five ninety five ninety, and because I, I'm sure that's Brandon Belt's best line to to tickets uh, to to the, to the Toronto the boat, boat show, show is is through 
uh, is through us. Um, we are going to talk to Brennan Belt in a little bit here. Um, we've got a minute before we take a break, though. Having sat with everything he said yesterday, where is your opinion on, you know, the, the you first get the text, hey, Brennan Belt to the Jays, to now having heard him talk a little bit. Has your opinion on the move changed your confidence level in Brandon Belt being back to Brandon Belt? I don't think my opinion on the move has changed. I guess it, it maybe the questions I wondered about kind of where he's at with his knee, uh, that that's shifted, right? Because I think obviously he's coming off a season where his performance cratered and it's tied to to the knee. But hearing him explain how much that changed everything that he did at the plate and that because he didn't have confidence in that leg, he was cheating a lot. He wasn't able to be as selective at the plate. He wasn't without that discipline. He's not making the the type of contact that he should be making. You know, it really explains a lot. And if his knee is as good as he says it is, you know, then I, I don't see a reason why he shouldn't be a productive player. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, I'll put him on the spot and see if he thinks that knee being healthy and his 1.617 career OPS at Rogers Center can carry over for the whole season this year. Brennan Bell joins us next on Fan Drive Time on Sports at 590 The Fan. drive time. I'm Blake Murphy. Shai Davidi alongside me. We're going to talk to Brandon Belt shortly. We're only on with you until 6.30. We're going to kick it over to Toronto Maple Leafs pregame as they play second night of a back-to-back against the Detroit Red Wings. Still no Austin Matthews update uh, right now. We're going to talk to Brandon Belt in a few minutes, but before we get Brandon on, Shai, uh, tomorrow is a transaction day. It's it's that it's still that time of year where the transactions slowly roll in. Uh, tomorrow's when arbitration filings happen around baseball. The Toronto Blue Jays have 12 arbitration eligible players. Um, when you look at that date on the calendar for this particular Blue Jays team, what stands out to you most? Because there are a couple big names on there uh, who are going to have ARB offers exchanged, but there are also a couple names on there who... Maybe don't get any offer at all. Well, I think that everybody at this point is getting tendered, hmm. uh, you know, because you can always walk away from that down the road if you needed to. Uh, you just have to pay a portion of the salary. And anyone who's going to be potentially in that spot is not someone that, you know, the Blue Jays would, you know, feel tethered to financially. Right. But it's an interesting date because essentially teams have gone to this file and trial kind of policy that if you don't reach an agreement, then you're going to go to a hearing by this date. And, you know, the, the Blue Jays, the key ones are obviously Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., right? And this is the first time through for Bo Bichette. Some of the public projections that are out there peg him in seven to $8 million range. It's the second time through for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and, you know, he's out there in, you know, $14, 15000000 million range in projections. And this is important because th- those numbers are essentially going to be the salary floors for both players over the coming three seasons when the Blue Jays still have contractual control over them. 
And that means they're going to bank a lot of money if they totally collapse from a performance perspective, but their salary will keep imp- increasing at a, at a high rate if they can keep on performing. So if you're trying to extend them, the window for the Blue Jays is kind of closing because the incentive is starting to disappear. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. could potentially have made $50 million or so in in his arbitration years before he gets to free agency. You know, that's a pretty good number already. So he might feel incentivized to go bet on himself in free agency if he's not going to get a, a strong number in a, in a long-term extension. And similarly with Bo Bichette. So uh, this is typically the point where, you know, players and teams start talking about different numbers and in different structures and this may be the where some seeds could potentially be planted that lead to some you know eventual talks that could possibly turn into uh, an extension so obviously no guarantees or anything along those lines but it does feel like this is the off season where you know after this one if it doesn't happen then some of the the opportunities there start ebbing yeah it's uh, the closer it gets the free agency the closer it gets to free agency is the the easiest way I find to put it. Um, for anyone who's unaware of the process, um, so tomorrow is the deadline for teams and arbitration eligible players to submit uh, salary figures for 2023. The arbitration hearings don't begin until January 30th, so there's still a couple weeks of runway to work out a deal. You know, once you see, hey, we're only a little bit apart. Why don't we just go middle ground here? Now, that that is maybe easy enough to do when the difference is like 200K. Uh, if it's like 3 million, probably a little less so. Um, but I, I think as a matter of principle, you would prefer to avoid the actual arbitration hearing because it's a little awkward to like argue against your own guy that he should make less money, right? Like to be 100%. to sit there in front of an arbitrator. Yeah, and it, look, it creates bad feelings. And, you know, part of why this deadline has changed in importance is because a lot of teams are at this point through with the we'll agree at the middle point you know a week down the road it's like if you're if you don't get a deal done before that deadline then you're going to uh to the hearing room unless you agree to maybe a multi-year deal so this is a, a way to kind of nudge everybody forward and it's kind of funny i was talking to an agent one player who has an arbitration case last week and I said, so, you know, how are talks going so far? And he's like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to get serious until Friday morning anyway. Right. So then once the paperwork actually has to be filed. But I, I guess this is one of those things, too, where, like, the front offices at this point, you know, there is a, a system in place to come up with a, a dollar amount that not only that you think is fair, but also that you think you can get in. You know, like, you're, you might think, Three millions fair, but you know a guy's not going to accept any less than three point three million. So why offer less than that? Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, the other item on the calendar on Sunday, the international free agent signing period opens. Um, we will talk about that another day because we have the newest Toronto Blue Jay on the line, DH slash first baseman. Brandon Belt uh, coming to us from the Brandon Belt Fishing Tournament, the 100K Grand Slam at the Family Pavilion in Texas. Uh, Brandon, welcome to Toronto via phone, and uh, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. 
Um, I just mentioned that, you know, as part of your charitable endeavor, you have this Brendan Belt Fishing Tournament series. Uh, we were just talking about before we came on the air. There's a boat show in Toronto uh, coming up the 20th to the 29th of January. Are, are you going to explore what Toronto's lake has to offer for you in terms of fishing? Oh, there's no question. Um, you know, I'm used to doing largemouth bass fishing. Uh, I've never been smallmouth bass fishing, so uh, that's something I'm looking to do this year when I get some time. Brendan, tell us a little bit about the the tournament and how it's set up and what the charitable goal of it is. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's called uh, Brandon Belt's $100,000 Grand Slam, and uh, this year we're raising money for the Father's Heart Orphanage in Brazil. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, I just wanted to make – uh, just do the biggest and best tournament that I could. You know, nobody was doing an amateur tournament um, and, and giving away a $100,000 top prize. Um, and on top of that, we're giving, giving away a brand-new uh, bass cat boat, which is valued at about 90000 to whoever catches the biggest bass of the tournament. And, uh, you know, we're trying to raise as much money as possible for uh, charity. And, uh, uh, you know, during COVID, uh, the Father's Heart Orphanage, um, you know, really struggled um, because none of the, they weren't getting the donations they usually get, and uh, they're taking kids in that if they don't take them in, there's a good chance that they don't survive. So um, it was a cool, it was a cool charity for me to be a part of. Um, I'm thankful they let me be a part of it. And uh, you know, honestly, we just our tournament's three days long. This is the first day today, and uh, everybody will fish the first two days. Um, the top 20 will fish the, the last day. And uh, we're just having a blast with it right now. Well, it sounds like a very worthwhile endeavor, so good on you for that. Now, as you're managing this tournament, do you actually get to fish as well, or are you all just administrating it, uh, administrating things and running around and doing all these different tasks? Uh, yeah, so I would fish it. I just don't want to embarrass everybody out there. You know, <laughs> I can only bring in too many fish, and, they, you know, I just, it's, it's not a good look on Brandon Bell fishing, so I just – no, I'm just kidding. But I, I just stay back at the – at the boat ramp basically and make sure everything runs smoothly. And, uh, uh, you know, I just want to make sure there's no glitches or anything. And because part of the experience of this that people like is just everything running smoothly and not having any hiccups or anything like that. So, uh, that's kind of my job right now. So, Brandon, uh, fishing aside, there, there's surely more than the lake that brought you to Toronto. You're drafted by the Giants in 2009, spend your whole career there. Um, what was this process like for you deciding to go somewhere other than San Francisco and the process of landing on Toronto as where you wanted to be? Yeah, so I'll be honest, you know, I think uh, coming to Toronto, you know, surprised me a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's been kind of a, you know, it's it's tough, obviously, leaving a place that you've been for, uh, you know, 12 years. Um, the, the Giants organization, I owe them a lot. You know, they've changed my life. Um, I've met so many great friends over there. I'm sad to leave all the guys on my teammates, man. It was, uh, it was, we had a great group of guys over there. Uh, I love the coaching staff, everybody. And, uh, you know, so it's tough leaving. But, uh, you know, I think when it came down to it, uh, you know, Toronto – in my view, wanted me more than any other team out there. And, uh, you know, I, that's, that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted to go somewhere where I was valued the most and where I was wanted. And, uh, and, uh, and the Giants obviously did want me, and we were talking there to the very end, and uh, it just didn't work out that way. But, 
Um, you know, also when I sat back and I thought about all the teams that I could go to uh, this off season, and I just I, I woke up on that last day getting more excited about coming to Toronto than any other team I was talking to. Um, you know, the, it's obviously a great roster. Uh, they were good last year, went to the playoffs, and in my opinion, got way better this offseason. So I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens, and we're going out there to win the whole thing. Brandon, I want to be forward-looking with you in this conversation and talk about your fit with the Blue Jays and things like that. Uh, before we do, though, when you see the outpouring of love and support that came from not only the San Francisco Giants fans, but we had San Francisco Giants beat writers writing you uh, heartfelt goodbyes and digging up your old quotes and going through kind of your history with the franchise and with the media there. Um, how much does that mean to you that, you know, it, it's not often in sports anymore that, you know, someone gets to leave on their own terms and also really good terms with a fan base like that. Uh, how special has the last couple of days been for you with it, with Giants fans? You know, it's been really special, man. And, I, you know, I, I, you just hope that when you play uh, this game that you can leave a, a, a lasting impact. And um, that's the way they've made me feel the past few days. Like, I, I made an impact on their lives, and um, you know, and they're real appreciative of that. I, I don't even think I can explain how much I appreciate uh, the fans and the media and the organization over there. Um, they've really taken me and my family in the past 12 years and made us feel like we were family, um, made us feel like we were at home. So um, it's been an awesome to experience. And, and my plan is, you know, once I can sit down and uh, gather all my thoughts, I'm going to want to write something pretty heartfelt to everybody over there. I just want to make sure I do it right. So it's a little hectic right now, but when I can kind of take my time and, and think about what I want to say, I'm going to get that out to them. You know, speaking of hectic, you've obviously got a lot of different things going on in the off season. You had the free agency but you're also recovering from a knee surgery. And you know, one thing that struck me, Brandon, listening to you talk yesterday about, uh, about your, your knee and the recovery from that injury is just how much conviction and faith that you had that you were going to be physically right and that you were going to be able to get yourself back to where you'd been in the past. Uh, I'm just wondering what in your work have you experienced that is giving you that type of faith and that type of confidence? Well, first of all, I mean, after the surgery, it was pretty evident early on. I mean, within a, a couple of weeks, even though I still had some pain from the surgery, still had some swelling from the surgery, it was obvious to me that it was just completely different than before. I mean, I've been dealing with this for, you know, a couple of years now. And, you know, I think I, I told a, a few people what my experience was like with it. And, I mean, I couldn't chase my, my kids around the yard. I couldn't do a whole lot of stuff with them. And that's all changed now. You know, I can actually be a lot more active with them. And, uh, you know, just aside from baseball, it's changed my life in that way. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, working out this, this year, I was kind of wanting to, to, you know, just see what, how it was going to go, um, see if it was going to swell up after I work out and stuff like that. But I've had no issues whatsoever. It feels great. I haven't felt this good in a couple of years. And uh, that's what got me excited about playing again next year. And then before the surgery, I just, I, you know, I had thoughts that I might be done playing. And it, it was, I was in a bad spot for a little bit. But um, I know who I am as a player, right? I, I mean, I, I know what I can do. 2020, 2020 and 2021 seasons, that's who I am as a ball player. Um, so if, if uh, my body and my knee don't stand in the way, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And now that I know my knee and my body are good, that's exactly what I'm planning on doing when I go out there next year. 
so health, obviously, first and foremost for you, Brandon. But when you look ahead to um, this next year, what do you make of how the change in what teams can do defensively in terms of the shift uh, will affect you? Because you are someone who has hit well against the shift, but you do get shifted a, a fair amount. And, you know, I know you've joked before that you, you want to punch DJ LeMayhew in the, in the head when he, he catches oh, yeah. your balls into the, to the shift there. Um, with that being off the table, at least to that extreme for defenses, um, do you change much with your approach? Or are you thinking about things differently on the pull side for this year? No, absolutely not. I mean, my goal when I go up to the plate is to get a good pitch to hit and to drive it. You know, I want to hit line drives. In my mind, you know, line drives beat the shift more often than not. You know, so that was my goal, um, to keep the ball off the ground anyway. But I think it will help a little bit. Maybe I think even more so with lefties, um, just because, you know, you uh, same side pitcher, sometimes you hit the ball on the ground a little bit more to the pool side, you know, especially with the ball moving away from you quite a bit so um yeah i think it'll help more so with that and uh but all around just in general i plan on keeping the ball off the ground anyway and when i'm successful that's what i'm doing brendan when you look at the lineup and the the guys that are in there and you think about your skill set you've got obviously the power the the line drive ability uh certainly some discipline in there what kind of hitters do you like around you? Like, do you, do you see yourself as a, a guy who, you know, is ideal to protect a, a hitter like a, like a Vlad or, or a Bobichet, or do you see yourself uh, as somebody in maybe a bit of a different role in the lineup? Like, how do you think your skill set best plays? Yeah, so I think uh, for me, I think that's something I can do for those guys. It's somebody I can be somebody that can protect them, or they can be guys that can protect me as well. So, um, you know, they obviously have the star power and they got the name and, and people are going to uh, worry about pitching to them. You know, they, a lot of times they'll just pass over those guys and get to the next one. But I think with this roster we have now in this lineup, they're not going to be able to do that this year. Our opponents will not be able to go out there and skip over somebody. And uh, our goal is just to be relentless out there, you know, just be the, be the nine toughest outs we can possibly be, wear the pitchers down so that we can get to that bullpen early. And I think that's what you're going to see from us this year. And we just got a, we got a really good lineup, good pitching staff, good defense. We're going to be one of the best all-around teams, if not the best. So I'm excited about it. Um, when you look at this line, you, you just mentioned, you know, you can protect these guys. They can protect you. You're also going to be one of the more veteran players on this team. You, you've won a couple of rings. You've gone through it. Um, I'm curious specifically with your ability to discern balls from strikes and, and pitches you can hit from pitches you can drive. Is that something that is too innate to kind of teach younger players or is that something that you can help impart on guys hey how to work a maybe not a 21 pitch at bat i don't want to sit through too many of those no offense um but (laughs) but can you you know help help bring some of these guys along with um your approach at the plate that's always been one of the very best in baseball yeah absolutely i think that's possible for me to do it you know it just depends on the player too you know if that's something they want to get better at you know i'd love to be able to help help out with that you know what i mean so i i just what makes baseball fun for me sometimes is just being able to pass on some knowledge that i've gained over the years i've been through a lot uh you know a lot of different peaks and valleys as a a ball player so i think that's something i can help with just the mental side of the game and uh, the approach side of the game i think it's something you can teach you know i it wasn't i don't think it was something 
I was necessarily born with. I think it was something I learned, you know, really around college and, um, you know, early in my pro career. So, uh, and I think with the pitchers we have now, it's almost like it's almost something you have to do because the pitchers are so good. They got, they got such good stuff now that you, you have to give your best chance, give yourself the best chance to drive the ball. And if you're swinging that pitches outside of the zone, you're just getting yourself out at that point. So uh, we got to force these pitchers to come in our zone. If we can do that, that's how we're going to do a lot of damage. Brennan, you were obviously played with Kevin Gosman in the past, and you'd have some familiarity with him. Uh, I'm wondering how, how many other guys on the roster you might have known, and what are some of the conversations uh, with your new teammates uh, have been like in recent days since uh, the news came out? Yeah, so I love Gosby, man. He was uh, he was a great teammate of mine over there in uh, San Francisco, and outside of him, you know, I don't I don't know a whole lot of them personally. Um, I've played against a few of them, uh, and all I've heard from the people I do know is how awesome the team is, um, how awesome the guys are, and I think that's important, you know, especially when you're trying to make a World Series run. Uh, chemistry matters. Um, it's not something you can quantify. Um, it's not going to be a stat on paper, but it really does matter, and I've, I've learned that, when, you know, from my experience winning two World Series. Um, you know, I, I, the guys, there's been a lot of guys reach out to me over the past few days, and it, it, that means a lot to me, you know, and it's got me really, really excited to see the guys um, in spring training. So I, I can't thank them enough and, and say enough about what they've done for me already. Well, we can't say enough about you taking the time out, uh, Brendan. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for taking the time, and, and good luck with the rest of the uh, charity fishing tournament and, and all the great work you're doing there. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Brandon Belt. Thanks, Brandon. Newest Toronto Blue Jay. I wish baseball were here. Unfortunately, we've only got a Toronto Maple Leafs game, a Toronto Raptors game, a Raptors 905 game tonight, and we've only got a whole bunch of playoff football games this weekend. Darn. You know, I, I'd like to see a 21 pitch at bat. I know you, you didn't like that. That, that. Well, I mean, I saw it. I, I've seen one now, and I, I don't think I need to see a ton more. <laughs> Brandon Belt, for context, April 22nd, 2018, 21 pitches against Jamie Berea. What was it, 12, 12 fouled balls? He fouled off 12 balls once he got two strikes? Yeah, led to a flyout. That's the worst part, is you wait all that. Like, someone, I know someone has clipped the Twitter, like, clipped it all into one Twitter video, and it's, like, over a minute long to watch. And it's not, you're not sitting through the whole plate appearance. It's not like those Joey Votto ones where you see him do these incredible takes uh or the old Barry Bonds ones or whatever it's just no pitch 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 it's over a minute long because uh yeah we don't need we don't need a ton of those um we got some non-Blue Jays action tonight though we do have Leafs and Raptors uh it's time for last call brought to you by Bet Rivers it's a whole new game so second night of a back-to-back on the road, Toronto Maple Leafs once again favorites. They are minus 148. Uh, the Wings coming in at plus 125. Uh, some of the goal props not up just yet because we don't know Austin Matthews' status for that one. On the NBA side, uh, we've got the Raptors playing the Hornets for a second time in a row. They are minus eight favorites, which uh, considering they shot the lights out and only won by 12 last time out, feels big. But we'll see. Maybe maybe something's clicked for the Raptors and uh, they're feeling themselves there, or at least the market is. Um, the one player thing that, that stands out, Scotty Barnes over four and a half assists is up at minus 107. That's been a pretty regular 
hit of late. Um, you know, he did it last game almost entirely in the first half, uh, averaging 4.7 on the season. So that's something to look at there. And then you've got Kraken Bruins tonight. The Bruins 19-0-3 at home. They've won four in a row, but the Kraken are 14-4-2 on the road. Kraken plus 195, uh, Bruins minus 235 there. That was last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Shy, what is your you you haven't been in this situation very often. I, I don't think you got one last week while you were on with Ben. You got a Leafs Raptors double barrel night. How are you handling it? Uh back and forth. Okay. I, I'm I'm a back and forth guy. I you know, I'm interested and then if one game has a little bit more attention to it or a little bit more uh a little bit more interest or whatever then i might stick with one a little bit longer than other but i'll try to monitor between the two that's uh what about you i gotta say that's 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 a morning show move so when when i did the fan morning show with jd and alish uh you don't have the benefit of doing what i do now which is raptors are live leafs get pvr'd right and you can you can tweak it especially with the staggered start times and like try to juggle both that way i find i Absorb them best doing it that way. So uh, Leafs will be on PVR. It'll get spoiled because I'm on Twitter during the Raptors game. Whatever. It's it's sports. It can get spoiled. It's, it's not the end of the world. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a one after the other guy. I have a real tough time watching sports after they've been spoiled. I got to uh, got to do it. It's the job. No, we, it's... We, got, we got a show to do tomorrow. Um, should be a fun one. Yeah. It'll, It'll be, be interesting. The, yeah, and I think we'll we'll get to go a little deeper on some of these football matchups and give our own kind of thoughts on what those are looking like. Tee up the weekend ahead for the the Raptors and Leafs as well. They both play on Saturday. We get another triple barrel. Is there such thing as a triple barrel shotgun? I don't know my my weaponry, but I I'm going to be have Leafs Raptors Jaguars on Saturday. That will not be a triple PVR situation. That'll be Jaguars and then we'll see if the Raptors in the league break through. Yeah, I rewatch every Raptors game the the morning after so that that'll still get watched but that might be a Leaf one that, you know, if it's like a 5-1 win or something. It is the Bruins though, so I probably will I who am I kidding? You're uh, watching oh, a lot of sports this weekend. Yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to be yeah, it's going to be it's awesome. a rough life. Rough yeah, life. Uh rough life tonight with Raptors Hornets and Leafs Red Wings. Uh, also, rough life. We're off half an hour early because it's Leafs pregame next on Sports at 590 The Fan. Blake Murphy, Shai Davidi, back with you for fan drive time tomorrow. Have a great Thursday.